You're listening to Hear and Obey, an episode of our podcast, Make and Multiply, where we read and discuss the passage of Scripture that was just preached the Sunday before. Uh, our goal in doing this is just to kind of practice and model what we do in our discipleship huddles as an additional resource to members of Emmaus Road Church. Uh, my name is Ryan Chase. I'm one of the pastors at Emmaus Road, and I'm joined by Matt Groon today, pastoral resident here, and we are going to be in Exodus 5. So Matt, why don't you read that? Yeah. Get us into the word. Exodus 5. <clears throat> Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take your people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God, but let heavier work be laid on the men that may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words." So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for the straw. And the taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily tasks each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have, you done, why have you not done all your tasks in making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble, and they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them, as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Mm. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us. Through your word, you build our faith. You instruct us and teach us and correct us and rebuke us and and you equip us so that we may be complete and mature, lacking nothing. So right. bless this time that we have in your word. Thank you for the privilege and joy it is to uh, meditate on it. Be glorified here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow. 
What a story. Yeah. Start with initial observations, just kind of our typical approach to any passage of scripture, broad observation, what's going on, the details, who's there, what's mm. happening, what's the plot, what do we notice, and from there then we can move into interpretation, what yeah. does it mean, and then application, how does it apply to us, what's the significance for us. So, initial observations. Mm. Yeah, it does seem that, you know, the the... The, the plan of God that was set in motion in, in Exodus 3 and then continued in 4 of what Moses is being asked to do by God, it just it does seem like, okay, it's come to a, a head, if you will, or the beginning of the, 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 the you know, the main word that comes to mind as you read it is con- confrontation or a, a collision, if you will, of, of the question that's being proposed is who is God or who is the Lord here? Uh, and just notice because you have the characters of Moses and Aaron who are supposed to be the representatives decide, or, uh, determined by God to represent the people mm-hmm. and to represent him to Pharaoh saying, God said, let your people go. So you have Pharaoh and you have the God of Israel being mm-hmm. mediated through Moses and Aaron, both representing two countries and peoples, one in subjugation to the other. But the thing that, man, stands out immediately to me is the question Pharaoh asks. The first words we hear from Pharaoh is the question, who is the Lord? Mm-hmm. And that feels like it's the question of Exodus. Yeah. It feels like it's the question of the whole story of all of our lives is that very question, who is the Lord? Mm-hmm. And Pharaoh has an answer. Mm-hmm. I mean, in his asking, you hear that subtle it's not a genuine question. It's almost like you hear Pilate in the in the New Testament. So, what is truth? You know, it's just this flippant dismissive. Exactly, and you you hear that from him, and you just it conveys this, um, yeah, just this undermining of the authority of God. Because really, what's at stake is, and I wrote this in my notes from, and Mark did a fantastic job preaching this text, and I wrote this in my notes, and he, I don't think he said this, but he was implying this: Pharaoh may not know God or at least is denying him here. But God knows Pharaoh. Yeah. We know that from, obviously he's God, but also things he said about Pharaoh leading up to this. Yeah. So you have this collision. That's why I said the word that came to my mind was collision. You have this impact of the two, quote-unquote, lords mm-hmm. engaging. Yeah. Now it's that first <laughs> it's that first engagement. Yeah. And, yeah, the, uh, the rest of that question from Pharaoh, verse 2, who is the Lord? that I should obey his voice. Right. Uh, you, you know, Pharaoh clearly gets the implications here. If you're going to, if anybody's going to tell me what to do, th- that's a claim of authority. Mm-hmm. So who is the Lord that I should obey him? Yeah. Um, you know, basically saying nobody tells me what to do. Right. There's nobody higher than me. Nobody else that I am accountable to or submit to. So it is a, a matter of lordship, mm-hmm. sovereignty, mm-hmm. obedience. Mm-hmm. All of that is wrapped up in... Yeah. This demand, God, the God of the Hebrews, which again, if you just put yourself in Moses and Aaron's shoes, think about what uh, one commentator said this. It, it, it is interesting that God does not send them to Pharaoh with a message like the God of heaven and earth right. commands you. To the Lord them. of hosts. Yeah, right. the Lord of hosts, angel armies. Right. He could make some, that, that's an accurate description of God mm-hmm. and a claim of his universal mm-hmm. supremacy. 
but to, to identify himself to Pharaoh as the God of the Hebrews, like who are the Hebrews to Pharaoh? Right. Subjugated people, mm-hmm. weak, they're just objects to right. him. They are his slaves. Right. And, and the fact that this God would identify himself as the God of the Hebrews with those weak and oppressed people mm-hmm. um, says something. Yes. <laughs> God is willing. He, he takes a people for himself. When he says, I will be your God, he means yeah, we are called by his name, but he calls himself by their name, which is crazy that that's how he's identifying himself. And, uh, you know, the question is, what is he... Why is he doing this? You know, we, we trust in a sovereign God. We trust in a big God. We, we're, we're a big God theologian type of people and our, our theology type of people. What, what's he doing by identifying himself with the, the oppressed, if you will, or the enslaved and not as the rightful yeah. ruler of all of it in this first, this first engagement? And, and I think the answer, I think what Paul mentions in Romans 9, and, and because we know this because... God has been, even from that first interaction, Mark mentioned this in his sermon, even from that first interaction at the burning bush, God was making clear to Moses that this is not, I, I am overseeing it all, but there's going to be some pushback. Yeah. So the question that we naturally have is, why is there pushback? <laughs> why wouldn't God just come in, Lord of hosts, knock Smash it all down? Egypt, walk out of there. And I think it's because he intends to answer Pharaoh's question. He intends to make himself, to answer the, who is the Lord? I am the Lord. And I am not just the Lord of the Hebrews. I rule over all. And he's going to, he's setting up the board. He's putting the pieces in place so that he can exercise his authority over all of their gods. And thus we get the 10 plagues. The Nile River. That's right. The flies. Yeah. All of it. It is an incredible Hmm. revelation of God, which he, you know, he doesn't just drop out of the sky, this, these, these tablets. He acts in history mm. to reveal himself that way first in, yeah. in redemption taking people for himself um, and, and that's why we subtitled this series through Exodus you shall know that I'm the Lord mm. that phrase is repeated throughout this book and many times it's in reference to the people of Israel mm. Israel will know that I'm the Lord but a couple of times it's in reference to Pharaoh and to Egypt they will know that's right. that I'm the Lord so, so actually we, we begin to see uh, God's heart for the nations all, mm-hmm. all the nations of the earth are going to know um, his people as well as his enemies. When God makes Himself known, He makes Himself known yeah. to everybody. And he, I think it's just you know this might be getting too deep into the weeds, and maybe this is speculative. But I think you know I don't think the words Lord and God are all just interchangeable. Like they're they're referencing certain things. Like God has more of a a worship um, doxological, if you will. We we give our our affections to this God. Lord implies reign. It implies authority. It implies kingship. And interestingly, in Moses writes in, in the opening pages of Genesis, in Genesis 1 and 2, in the first chapter, he references God as just God. And it isn't until chapter 2 with the creation of man, specifically in God's interaction with him, that he names him now. Now the Lord God placed man in the garden. So there's a change in title. I think it's, I think you know Hebrew, Elohim. It switches to that. And it just implies this kingship. It implies this more almost civil, quote unquote, reign and rule. And so the question isn't, Pharaoh doesn't pose as, who is this God, as if he's one to be numbered among the many. The issue Pharaoh picks up on is not that there is another God out there that people are worshiping, which doesn't mean anything to him because, okay, fine, go worship whatever you want as long as you make your bricks. The question is, who is 
the Lord. Mm-hmm. Who has authority and jurisdiction here? And that's what gets his, <laughs> that seems to catch him the most. Yeah. And, then, and, then, and then in response to that, what does he do? Mm-hmm. In response to that is he exercises his authority yeah. or his supposed authority. Yeah, turns up, turns up the heat. That's right. I, that's the other thing, just observing this text and trying to enter the text and imagine you put yourself in, in the shoes of, of these people. Hmm. Um, what an awful situation. Hmm. Can you imagine? Like Helpless. They are required to make just as many bricks. They have to meet their quota and they have to go find the straw hmm. now. So you just imagine yourself in any kind of work situation where <laughs> suddenly things get infinitely harder hmm. because you have 10 times as much work to do under the same deadline. Mm. And then the, the physical beatings, that stood out to me as you just read mm. now, that um, the, the taskmasters and the foremen were beating the Hebrew yeah. foreman for their failure. So, so you, you throw in not just the, the pressure of the work, which is intense physical labor, but then physical beating and, and violence. Yeah. Um, what an awful situation. Yeah. And I think it speaks to a couple things. One, the in, the insanity of sin, right? The, I mean, it really is this. You read it, and it's almost like it's it's clearly tyrannical, and it's clearly almost not devious. Um, uh, just it's it's yeah. malicious. It's malicious. That's the that's the word. It's yeah. intense. So, but to the point is, again, Pharaoh's not concerned primarily that work's not going to get done. Right. Because the fact that he not makes the, the exactly the fact that he makes the work harder mm-hmm. is meant to convey a meaning, mm-hmm. and the meaning is not you guys just need to work harder. These are all facades for the greater anxiety that he has, which is I am being challenged on my authority. I tell these people what to do. I tell them how high to jump. I'm the one who has control here because Moses and Aaron are asking, "Can we just we're just go? Can we go out to the wilderness and, mm-hmm. and worship this God?" No. You don't tell them where to go. I tell them where to go. And so the fact that it's such a tyrannical response, because yeah. not only does he, he removes the ability to accomplish the work, mm-hmm. demands the work be accomplished, mm-hmm. and then increases the severity of the punishment it's not met, creates all the conditions for it to be just yeah. tyranny. Yeah. And Mark made a great point in yeah. the sermon when he said, you know, in doing this, it's really brilliant by Pharaoh. Here comes Moses. Uh, as a wannabe deliverer, mm. easy way for Pharaoh to cut off any hope of that is to, in response, yeah. just make life miserable yeah. for the slaves so that they turn against Moses, which yeah. is exactly what happens by the end of the chapter. Exactly. They see him and they just say, get out of here. You, yeah. you have made us stink. You're going to get us killed. Don't have anything more to do with us. So it's it's really insightful mm. into the tactics of the serpent, yes. the enemy. Um and it speaks to the, it again speaks to the question of authority. Yeah. Because w- right now, at the end of the chapter, and even Moses himself fears Pharaoh more than God. Yeah. Be- because that's really the question is, who, because if, if, the, if the people trusted God and his deliverance, mm-hmm. they would just laugh at Pharaoh and put their trust in God. God will deliver us. Yeah. But the fact that they don't their first reaction is to go to Pharaoh. They, they their inquest is not with Moses and God. They go to Pharaoh and say, "Why have you done this to us?" Yeah. And then they catch Moses and Aaron on the way out and say, "Look what you've done!" Yeah. And you and your God, you know, you guys can 
get on your horse and get out of town. Mm-hmm. So it just speaks to the fact that they're not ready to be delivered. Yeah. They don't trust yeah. God. Yeah. And so, again, it just sets up, it's setting up the pieces for God to, mm-hmm. he just says, I mean, I, I know we haven't read it yet, but the opening lines of chapter six, I, as Mark was reading it, mm-hmm. and I, I just kept going because you just have to. You, it leaves yeah. you at such a bad spot. Yeah. But he says, because Moses asks, um, why did you send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak to you in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. What a, <laughs> what a question. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. Isn't that amazing? God is just like, I've put all this on there. And what it does is it just highlights Mark's point about the, his main proposition, which is, um, you know, God sends fiery trials to test the genuineness of faith. Mm. He doesn't leave them there. Right. He acts, yeah. and it's all setting up the storyline so that in the psalmists, when they look, when the psalms, when they look back on this event, they'll say, "Behold the wondrous works of God! How He saved His people." It, it's so instructive to us uh, to see other people living through mm. circumstances like this because we can so easily identify yeah. ourselves into the story. Uh, as soon as those fiery trials come, which which God sends for a purpose, mm. like you just said, chapter 6, verse 1, now you're going to see. Right. right? The, the sage is perfectly set yeah. for God to display his glory and his power wow. over Pharaoh. And yet, what is our inclination when fiery trials come? Mm. But to think hard thoughts about God. Right. What have you done? You are not acting. Uh, even Moses' words... You have sent all this evil on your right. people. Life has gotten objectively harder for them yes. as a result of me trying to carry out this mission that, that you gave to me. What are you doing? Yeah. And just to know, like, that, that's exactly how we're prone to think in the middle of hard things because mm. hard things are so tangible. Hard. So hard. <laughs> yes. I mean, you are getting physically beaten at yeah. the end of the workday because you didn't get your work done. Right. That's at the forefront of your mind. Like you're going home bloodied and bruised, and you got to go back to work under slave masters the next day. How could you blame anybody for thinking that? And, and the problem is not that they are aware of their suffering, but like you said, that they their response is not to cry out to God for deliverance or right. say, "I wonder what God is going to do now." Let's wait. Their yeah. Thought, their thought is, "He's not going to do anything." Right. And that's that's the difference between belief right. and unbelief. But right. both. You live through the same circumstances. Mm-hmm. The question is, what are you trusting yeah. in the middle of that? Who, the question is, who is the Lord? Yeah. Who, who is the Lord? That is the question that, that keeps coming up. And it, it really is um, yeah, this question of authority. It really is the question of how, how, how am I going to get through suffering? Mm-hmm. It's, it's how, how am I going to, who am I going to appeal to for help? Yeah. You know, this almost says, you know, I, I turn my eyes to the hills. Where is my help from? It has to come from the Lord, yeah. the maker of heaven and earth. Only he has the authority mm-hmm. to do anything about it. And it's not that I want him just to, I mean, selfishly, what I really want is alleviate my circumstances, move me to a different circumstance. But what we see playing out in narrative form here in Exodus is God teaching his people how to how to trust him mm-hmm. regardless of the circumstances. Yeah. And I think... You know, the suffering that's experienced by these, I don't know, you read it. It's again, it's, it's reiterating the suffering we read about in chapter one, um, in even parts of two, and now here in, in five. You read it and you just, 
especially with describing the suffering, it just feels, you feel those God-given disgust towards injustice rise up of like, that's not fair. How how can you, it's exactly right. It's futile, it's evil, and it, and I think that's, we can say that about things that are happening in our society today of, I remember watching a Netflix documentary on uh, uh, some, I forget the, the title, but I just remember watching it and these, these, these boys were being clearly pinned for something that they didn't mm-hmm. do. And all the system was, was working against them. And I remember I could only watch like half of it. I could mm-hmm. only watch the first episode because I just felt so disgusted with injustice. Yeah. And you can't, you can't bear that indefinitely. Um, mm-hmm. And so the, so the question that's being aroused in that is there's, there's clear injustice happening. So who, who, what's God going to do about it? Mm-hmm. And, you know, lest we think, oh, this is, you know, just this moment, just that moment, you know, is this a God who does this regularly? Yeah. Is this a yeah. God who's done That's it right. before and will he do it again? And we say, is this in line with his character? What, I mean, and Ryan, I know you know the answer to this. What is the greatest injustice that's ever been carried out in the, in the history of humanity? Yeah. We would say the death of Christ, the, the, the son of God, the death of the innocent, yeah. the murder, the, the execution of the innocent Son of God, miscarriage of justice—it's at its pinnacle, the place where God, you know, where, where man would say God was out of control, mm. was the place was the pinnacle of His control, yeah. the pinnacle of the storyline. It just reminds me of Acts um, chapter four. After Peter got out of prison, they gathered together and they're praying. They just prayed Psalm two: "The kings of the earth set themselves; the rulers gathered together. For truly, in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant." Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of God, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Like, I know we know that. I know that we know that conceptually God God put Jesus to death. But then you read it from people who are suffering, just got out of jail, which is an injustice. And then to hear and read that the death of Jesus is the pinnacle of that. And yet it was the highlight of God's saving acts. Yeah. Just It puts in perspective um, the Hebrews' suffering mm-hmm. and my suffering and, and the injustices I may feel of a promotion that gets passed over or a situation that I feel I was treated unfairly and whatever. Yeah. It, it goes to show that God is the, the, the question always at the heart is who is in authority mm-hmm. in my suffering who is in authority who is the Lord yeah. is it Pharaoh is it me mm-hmm. wanting to just take control of the situation and fix it or is God working in ways that are bringing about his glory yeah I think that's a huge point of application for this that mm. God reveals in in Exodus 5 uh, that he works on his own timeline mm-hmm which is frequently different than the timeline we prefer. Yeah. And, and Mark pointed this out. That this is not. This should not come as a surprise because God did prepare Moses in yeah. the burning bush. I know that Moses or Pharaoh will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my mighty hand. Um, and then God tells him again in chapter four, "I am going to harden Pharaoh's heart." So there we have. We're first introduced to this idea. It's not just Pharaoh's own stubbornness, but right. God Himself is going to harden Pharaoh's heart in response to the demand. So, it's this duality. Yeah. Moses has been prepared for 
this. He should be expecting um, God's in this for the, for the long haul. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he has an agenda here that plays out, and, and just knowing that for us, we we don't have in the pages of Scripture um, chapter and verse that tells us the specifics of our personal stories right. today. But just knowing this is the character of God mm-hmm. should produce in us that expectation in the middle of fiery afflictions. Like mm-hmm. Mark summed up the main point. God uses these fiery afflictions. He sends them into our lives purposefully to test our faith, to prove the genuineness of our faith. If we know that, then then we should be thinking in the middle of hard things, okay, God, this feels like it's lasting longer than it should. Mm-hmm. It feels like I can't take much more of this. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm looking expectantly what are you going to do? Because yeah. the stage is set for you to act in a way that you get all the glory. Right. And, and my trust in you is deepened and other people see your your hand of provision and deliverance. Yeah. And just that we would expect that rather than our first thought being, God must not be good. Yeah. He must not love me. He must not be in control. Yeah. Th- those hard thoughts that we're prone yeah. to think as our knee-jerk reaction when, when life is hard. Yeah. And even how you just described it, like it's... What seems to be the case, uh, primarily, is what ends up happening. When we take that posture of, God, we're expecting you to do something in my suffering. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm giving it to you so that you, you know, the stage is set so that you get all the glory. Exactly how you just said it. The result typically, I would say typically, not that it always has to be this way, but typically is not the alleviation of the suffering. Right. And, or not even the alleviation or the change of the circumstance. We're but, not trying to manipulate God right. through our attitudes. So right, saying, it works faster. Ready for you to, where the stage is set for you to do something right now. <laughs> but I think, but as you just described that, what ends up happening more, you know, the, the edifying effect of that, the God glorifying effect of that is that the people in community with you see your disposition to trust God and are affected by it. Right. And, and as you describe that, I mean, that's, that's the story of our relationship. That's the story of, me seeing you and Barbara ex- walk through incredible pain and not, you know, desiring exactly how you just said, God would, you know, the stage is set for you to do something miraculous to, to, to save or to act or to whatever. And God has seen fit to not change your circumstances dramatically, but the effect of that disposition on the people around you is the thing that God's working. Yeah. It's, it is the thing that is, making him known to people in your sphere, which, you know, doesn't necessarily make the, you know, the beatings are still happening, right? right? It doesn't necessarily take away the physical torment of suffering, but the effect is taking place. Um, And so I I don't know if that helps, but it encourages, I want to encourage you in particular, or or just people who are listening and myself, like the long suffering, even in the midst of that, even if the circumstances don't change, even if, you know, it just keeps going on, God's not, he, he still knows, he still sees. Yeah, I think when we, when we experience pain, the immediate knee-jerk reaction that we have is just make it stop. Mm-hmm. We just want it to stop. We, That's right. Physical pain, emotional pain, whatever. We, mm-hmm. we just want it to stop. Um, and when our desire turns to, I want God to be glorified. I'm expecting that God is going to work. My, I'm going to cry out to him through the pain and the tears. I don't need to pretend like it doesn't hurt. Right, exactly. That it's easy. But I'm, I want that mm-hmm. more than anything. God does provide real resources for mm-hmm. us supernaturally by his grace. through His spirit in us. 
that makes it possible to continue enduring That's right. and growing and changing. So That's our circumstances right. might not change, but God changes us mm-hmm. in the midst of those circumstances. And he actually sustains us and carries us through those times that right. in our flesh, if we're just relying on ourselves, we're thinking, I cannot take any more of this. Mm-hmm. And then we find as we trust God, actually we can go longer than we ever yeah. thought yeah. because our, our desire shifts from the one thing I want in all the world is for this to end mm-hmm. to no, I, the thing I want more than anything is for God to be glorified. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that it yeah. changes us. And, and ultimately, you know, as you described that, you know, when we experience pain, the first thing we want to do is make it stop. Well, really what that is, is an exercise or an attempt at having authority, yeah. an attempt at grasping control. control. The number one thing when it comes to, especially, you know, emotional, whatever pain is, I just need to get my arms around the situation and then I can move the pieces on the board. Yeah. And what intense suffering does, it just forces you to not be able to do that right. because the situation is too big. Yeah. It's too traumatic, whatever. Um, and, and then again, it exposed. And so the, but the disposition to trust God, again, we cannot escape the question that Pharaoh asks, who is the Lord? Because if me trying to fix my situation and get my arms around it and manipulate this, the, the chessboard to, to alleviate my circumstances is me acting as Pharaoh. It's me acting as the Lord. I'll, you know, God, you stay up there. I'll take care of it. And that's just not yeah. how God works. He is, he is the Lord and he will show us what he's going to do. Yeah. Amazing. Mm. What, a, what a chapter. It's, yeah. It's just brutal in the, <laughs> the, the pain of it, the, the raw. What a gift God gives yeah. in giving us stories like this. Mm-hmm. Just the, you read it, you're like, how mm-hmm. am I going to get anything good out of this? Yeah. And yet, yeah. The, the, the beauty of the mind of, that is the word is that you go down and you find gold right. and you yeah. bring it up. And God, God's revealing himself. Yeah. He, we, are, we see some of these ways in which God acts. And I like how you said that. Do, do we see God acting like this in any other places? Mm-hmm. Yes. Over and over again throughout scripture, yes. including at the pinnacle of it all yeah. at the cross. So if, if God is revealing himself to us, that he works in these ways, um, then you know what's, what's our faith response mm-hmm. to him? We can trust his timing. We can trust his wisdom. We can trust that the hardships I'm in are not proof that he doesn't right. love me or that some, that he's doing evil against me. Because right. um, I don't see the end of my story yet, hmm. but I have these recorded historical stories yeah. of how God has acted for his people, and I know he will always be the same God consistent with his character. Yeah. So it just and it builds our faith. And, yeah. Builds into us that, you know, we talk about this often, ballast in our boat for that's right. the stormy seas that lie right. before us. That's right. Steel in our spine for the, the afflictions. When, when the enemy turns up heat in our lives, and we should mm-hmm. not be surprised that as we walk with the Lord, uh, one of the tactics of the enemy is to turn up the heat mm-hmm. to tempt us to turn against God mm-hmm. <laughs> and think hard thoughts about God yeah. uh, rather than continuing to rely on yeah. Him. So th- this, this just... Emboldens me. And what a gift from God, like you were saying, to, to give us stories of this. And he has given us story after story after story of intense suffering allowed and often given by God to produce things in us. The you know f- what What is faith? It's, it's trusting the promises of God, trusting that he will do what he said he's going to do. And so not only has he said he will deliver us, he's shown 
he will deliver us. God always works in word and in deed. And he spoke clearest in the word, which was Christ and the deed of him dying and rising for our place. And so we have assurance and that's, that's edifying. Mm. Strong assurance. That's right. Amen. Thank you. Yeah.